Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear don't call the boss, I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. caught me in my other voice. <laughs> How you doing at 12.02 on a, uh, on a Sunday morn here in uh, Lockdown City? Yeah. Lockdown City. Really? Still? Yeah. Really? Still. We're here. We're enduring. Unless you're listening in Geelong, in which case, enjoy your, your hard for how cruel are you going to be? No, not cruel at all. Oh, I was, okay. I was saying uh, earlier to you before the show, I wonder whether if you're in um, an un- un- unlocked down part of Victoria, I almost think that would be harder because you've got the risk of just going back into lockdown at any given day. Whereas here in Melbourne, here yeah. in uh, uh, the sunny downtown East Brunswick, we know we've got weeks and weeks ahead of it. You so. could be just going, yeah, everything's great. Wow. <laughs> we made a booking for a dozen people. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, yes, here we are. The reality continues. We're yes. all part of it. Uh, and uh, Matt and I are delighted to be in East Brunswick doing a food show for you here on 3 FM post-Radiothon. Mm. Uh, and again, looking back very, very quickly, got to thank everyone. Yes, here, here. All you beautiful, beautiful people. And you can still get in if you miss the main campaign. Uh, you can you can pledge online and, and you still go in the running for the prizes all the way up until uh, Wednesday, the 6th of October. There we go. I was just doing traffic You're cop def- there. Definitely pointing, pointing to the date. Pointing. Because <laughs> it is your station and uh, and you've shown us that you wanted to be a part of it. And 
half the reason I do this is because of the community we all represent. Yes. And I, I was um, once again uh, thinking uh, the fact that we even have Triple R driving in today listening to the excellent radiotherapy programs that we're talking about. COVID and the impact on doctors and medical staff. And mm. I think the takeaway I got from this morning's show, and you can listen back online if you didn't hear it, is yes. that, yes, we're all suffering in lockdown, but on the whole, our response has been pretty good as a country. So um, we've managed to contain a lot of the very bad effects that other countries have seen. Here, here. Um, we are here to talk about food. We look back, we yes. say, Dr. Shane, as he flees <laughs> the studio. God, he's quick. He's moving. His fleet of foot. Yeah, he's got his mask on. He's got his bag on. He'll be thundering past Studio 2 any second now. You <laughs> might hear him. It's like a little sort of an elephant charge as he moves along. Thank you, scientists. Thank you, doctors. We're here to talk about food. Yes. On today's show, we've got a little bit of an Eastern flavour. You might have seen that from a post I did on Instagram. Yes. Not that I want to shamelessly promote my Instagram thing, but, you know, eat it, Cam Smith. <laughs> hey, why not? Do you want to check it out? Um, we are going to be talking about mooncakes. About what, Cam? Mooncakes. Mooncakes. Coinciding with a very, very important autumn festival Mm. of the moon. I don't know if that's right. Obviously, we're talking Northern Hemisphere uh, yep. autumn festival. You betcha. Mm. And I thought uh, to have a chat about mooncakes, who better to do that uh, than Malaysian-born? Mm. Yes, Malaysian-born, um, also a resident of Hong Kong, uh, Tony Tan, who's up yes. in Trentham, and he's going to talk to us, probably correct me for something that I've got wrong there, uh, and talk to us about the great history, the great symbology, mm. and the variation of said mooncake. Have you ever eaten one of them? I don't think I have. There's a very nice photo of some mooncakes on your Insta. If you don't know what <laughs> a mooncake is, go and have hey, a look, and you go, oh, that's what we're talking about. Hey, those things. Yeah. Um, mostly the ones we have here, I think, mm. and we'll get Tony Tan to uh, correct or agree, a uh, sort of Cantonese style, which have uh, salted egg yolks in them, which Ooh. represent the moon, ah. um, and lotus bean paste. And um, they can be a bit challenging for mm. uh, for Westerners to eat. Like it, it took me many moons. Why is that? Is to, that to to eat uh, red bean paste oh, in, in stuff. You know that that yeah, sweet yeah. sort of stuff. It, it's taken me a while. But mm. uh, anyway, we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, we're also going to be going up to Sydney to have a chat to Lee Hudson mm. at Chef's Armory. Yes, uh, regarding sake. So Lee, Chef's Armory is a purveyor of. Two things, really. Fine knives and fine sake. Knives. Knives and booze. What could possibly go wrong? And also charcoal, uptown charcoal. Oh, of course, yes. Binchotan. Yes. Binchotan uh, charcoal, which is just frighteningly expensive, but the very, very best. Mm. Uh, 12.07 here in 3 triple RFM as we do a... uh, What's what's that in your mouth, mouth, my friend? What What is it? What? Let me no, I can't spit it out. Um, I had a, a, an absolute revelation this week. In the well, fact that okay, absolute revelation. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put everything down and really pay attention here. Epiphany. Epiphany. Yep. Like Saul on the road to Damascus, I was used to on that road to Damascus, mm-hmm. stopping off at the old truck stops, and just going. I didn't know how to order in the language. So sign language, just give me some eggs on toast. Eggs on toast. Eggs on toast. Truck stop, eggs on toast. Or chariot stop, eggs on toast. 
and you get those crispy, crispy, nasty bottoms of your fried egg. Yeah, yeah so I'm thinking like, you know, yeah, roadhouse food, fry me an egg, and it sort of goes a bit brown because they haven't cleaned the, the grill. And, yeah, and it's a bit yeah. hot. It's a bit hot. There was a bloke, his name was Ferdinand Point. Mm-hmm. Ferdinand Point had a famous, famous place. He was like one of the, I think even before Bocuse, he was one of the, the greats, the titans mm-hmm. of French cuisine. And uh, apparently what he used to do um, was if you wanted to, you know, you think you're pretty hot. You're mm. a new guy. You want to you impress me? Cook me an egg. Cook me an egg. Go on. And, uh, and a lot of people failed at that. As they and, do. I, I and the floor opened up and it swallowed them up and they're never to be seen again. Many years ago on this show, we had a simple question to a couple of chefs in the studio, how would you cook an egg? And we couldn't find any consensus. It got a little bit heated. So oh, love you it. think it's a simple it. thing. Yeah. But it might not be. Ferdinand Point's method of cooking an egg, and, mm. and you can check out my Instagram once more, so <laughs> plug it again, yeah. uh, is uh, the fact that what, what he did, instead of very, very high heat, mm. um, you use butter. So this is for a fried egg, we should say. Fried so egg, this isn't for poaching say. or for boiling. So no, if you no, want no. a frying pan yes. with butter. Yes. Uh, because we're French and we how, use butter. How butter. much butter? Fair amount. You uh, about uh, close to a tablespoon yeah, right. for a couple of eggs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you melt the butter. Mm-hmm. Don't make it foam. Just melt. Because Gentle that, heat. That, that means that your temperature is too far. Because mm-hmm. once you start foaming, you what you're doing is you're releasing all the... Uh, the 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 water into the into the fat, and that's mm. when you get your foaming, and then that's when you get your burnoise head, and it starts to brown that's and burn. What you don't want stop that. Yep, hold it back. Um, you then break a couple eggs in a bowl separate mm-hmm. and slide them in, mm-hmm. right? And then just tuck in the little bits. The eggs should be very fresh too, so they sit mm. proud. And then you add about a tablespoon of water to that water water, and then you cover the frying pan with a lid mm-hmm. and then you cook that for about four minutes or so and what you'll see what happens is the steam gets released so mm. it's sort of like half there's sort of poached in fat mm. not really fried but then it the steam then cooks out the egg and you'll see that the top of the yolk mm. will go white be a subtle white, white yes, mm. yes, because that's the denaturing of the protein by heat, mm. um, and then you slide that onto a plate, maybe on toast, maybe if you're lucky, a little bit of asparagus. Mm. And I tell you what, it's a revelation, and in fact, you agree with me. And in fact, you well, said I that did, your my, dear wife, my good lady wife, uh, saw your Instagram post mm. and said, "I'm doing those eggs," and did those eggs. She did those eggs. And yeah, it's good. So it's kind of like so it's it looks like a fried egg. Yeah, but the texture is more like of the white is more like a poached egg. Yes, it's it's. I'm I'm not sure I'd go so far. It's as a so hybrid as a revelation. It's a hybrid, but it is worth a try, and it's, really it's pretty simple. Dare I say it, it's revelatory? Right. <laughs> yes. Did you go with that? No, oh, we're just we're just arguing over semantics now. I know, but that's what we do. <laughs> I just had a, a shocking bit of deja vu there, actually, Matt. Oh, really? That. Yeah, really Ooh. weird. Uh, the other thing is uh, that I have discovered yes. is mm. um, I have discovered a way to make potatoes, roast potatoes, lemon, sort of Greek-style potatoes, mm. even more crunchy. Oh. <laughs> I got your attention now. <laughs> that worked, didn't it? 
Okay, so what you do, mm. right, is you, you get a good potato. Mm-hmm. Um, what sort do you want, starchy or mealy? I think it's starchy. Starchy, sort of Dutch cream. Dutch cream, right? Dutch cream's a my Dutch sort cream. of go-to potato for yeah. pretty much anything. So. Uh, mm. Peel it, mm. uh, cut it into wedges, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because we're maximising the surface area, for, therefore the crunch. Mm-hmm. So am I, am I thinking sort of potato wedge wedge? Yeah, potato wedge wedge. Yeah, it's a classic sort of 90s cinema with sour cream shape. Yeah, without the sweet sweet chilli sauce <laughs> and the sour cream, right? <laughs> yeah, just to get that cupboard. out of your mind, just the cut. All right, right? I've got okay. my wedge, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then, separately, what you do mm-hmm. is uh, you put some lemon juice, mm-hmm. oregano, because mm-hmm. we're doing Greek-style potatoes, mm-hmm. olive oil, mm-hmm. secret ingredient. The secret ingredient is two teaspoons of semolina. Oh yeah! So you're adding a starch to yes. your your marinating mix, mm-hmm. and you'll find that the semolina almost sort of so almost, dissolves into it. Yeah, right, and it would become thicker. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. thicker it does. I'm going all Yoda now. Um, and then, so as you're roasting them, you've got to keep moving them around yep. and doing stuff like that. But something magic happens where the semolina sort of coats the mm. outside of the potato, and you get this extra layer of crustiness. Ooh. That sounds good. I want to try them now. It's 12.13 and these are my gifts to you on the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, is there any stuff that – what's that in your mouth? Or we haven't uh, even given you a shot. I probably haven't uh, really had enough time to sort of really delve into it, so I'll pass. But I will also point out obviously – What's that in your glass? Uh, your, this is a very full glass in recent weeks. I, must have been. I don't remember. <laughs> no, but I just wanted to shout out um, to all of our hospitality friends in Melbourne and hope that maybe even with announcements about picnics and things that might – allow a, a degree of trade to open up. So there's a couple of pubs near me in South Melbourne that have sort of they, – they they create food and take away beverage to consume in parks and those sorts of things. So hopefully that might allow an inkling of uh, trade to resume. But let's see what today's announcements lead to. What's that in the picnic yes. table blanket drawer? <laughs> Just and empty it out. Couldn't have picked <clears throat> a worse day yesterday for to allow picnics, <sighs> could you? Because it was pretty horrible, the weather. Yeah, look, we will be focusing back on hospitality industry and um, you know and how they're all coping and stuff like that. Yes, we've, we've given everybody a little bit um, of a break from mm-hmm. all that, but um, we'll be talking again with Danny Valant soon. About yes, the uh, Danny doesn't know, but really, are we? <laughs> well, I'll be reaching out to Danny and see if chat, and also other people in our, in our glorious industry that have done such hard yards, yes. such hard yards, you know. Like I, I saw, uh, my, you know, Joey Vagetho was, mm-hmm. he's cooked like this thing about the bathtub size thing of gnocchi with tomato <laughs> sauce. Yep. And what, you know, people, anyway, yeah, we're thinking of you too. Yes. 12.15 here on 3 FM. We're going to have a little bit of a break. We're going to be rocketing up to Trentham and we're going to get Tony Tan to explain to us about Mooncakes after this. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. We were just talking about your eggs. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, big ups like- to Molly George, who has just subscribed to the station. Molly George. Hello, Molly. Uh, she's tried your eggs too and agrees. They're a game changer. 
So mm-hmm. maybe I was a bit cynical when I'm saying not a revolution. Yeah, so you're just you're getting old and cynical, man. Thanks for subscribing, Molly. And by the way, yes, thanks. And mm. uh, and don't forget, you uh, you still can, as we mentioned before, until <coughs> the sixth of October, mm. five p.m. But uh, hang all that for a sec. We need to talk about traditions and symbolisms and and variations on a theme. My God, and and the best person who can take us through this minefield and uh, well and lead us back out again with extra knowledge, of course, is my good buddy up in the country, the landed gentry that is Tony Tan. Gracious, what an introduction. <laughs> you know I love <laughs> to do this. Just me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like to do that. First of all, the most important thing is how are the girls? How are your chooks? The girls are fine. I mean, they don't like the wind, definitely. They've no. been coming out into the yard, then afterwards they go back to their coop. <laughs> simply because they just tend to think that this wind is just a little bit too much. Even we can't handle it anymore. So that's, yeah. that's But they are fine. They are really, really fine. Mala is misbehaving. Yes. And so is Nikki. Nikki is quite mischievous these days. She keeps telling me that, unfortunately, today's a windy day, so I'm not going to give you an egg. Oh, holding out. <laughs> Nikki, Nikki, <laughs> Nikki the holdout. It's not named after uh, Nikki Minaj, the rap artist, is it? No, no, no. No, okay, not that one. Um, all right, let's let's cut to the chase and get straight into it. Um, the Moon Festival is upon us. Is that on the twenty first, Tony? Yes, that's right. Hey. It's on the twenty first of September. Yep. And what do we do on Moon Festival? Oh, a lot of eating, a lot of family reunioning, and a lot of mooncake eating, which I think is something that the Chinese certainly and as well as the Vietnamese look forward to mm. um, annually. And, and Malaysians so, too, yeah? And Malaysians, of course. Yeah. Anybody of, of, of what I call, you know, the overseas Chinese background, yes. you know, be it if it is going to be in Malaysia, Singapore, or here in Australia, I mean, you know, all of us will be wanting to eat mooncakes. It's a perfect excuse for feasting, put it that way. Yeah, and but, and it's it's so amazing that um, we'll describe how they're packaged and how you can see them in your, you know, Chinese food stores. But this is an item that is so steeped in in history. Tradition. Like, they're so ancient. Yeah, um, and tradition and also mythology as well. And symbolism. Yes. I mean, my God. And it's... a lot of symbolism. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I didn't even know until Mr. Google told me is that, you know, women worship the moon because it is associated with uh, water and, and menstruation. Yep. So, and, I and that, I find that absolutely fascinating. Yes. yes I didn't know about that. Well, I mean, learning. all I know... All I know is, is you know, on the fifteenth day of the lunar calendar mm. in in August is when we celebrate the Mid Autumn Festival. And, and if, in a way, it's it's a little bit odd when you sort of think about you know when we all sort of celebrate harvest, you know, and it seems to be something that is quite universal where we where people do celebrate mm. uh, the harvest festival, except that the, except for one difference, and that is the Chinese formalized it, you know, and so they, they create a whole myth, myth behind it. They, they also celebrate the, the, the cycle of the moon. They, they celebrate what, what the earth has given us and mm-hmm. so on and so on. And 
And then mooncakes came into the equation, which, you know, uh, I don't know whether if you've had mooncakes before or not, but they are something that, uh, they, they are a delicacy that pops up only at this time of year. And so, we, and, but with, um, I was doing the same thing in doctor, asking Mr. Google to inform me, and uh, I was amazed at the amount of variation here in here in melbourne most of the people i'm generalizing here um tony but uh mostly cantonese uh that have come here so we have the salted egg version with the lotus seed which is very very much the cantonese but my god you can get everything from well you want to tell us about the variations (laughs) that we can have rather than me clumsily striking off into it no, 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 no. I, I think that between the both of us, we'll come to some really, very interesting and delicious conclusions. But generally speaking, you know, because of the because the large majority of of Australian Chinese who are here, mm. they come from the southern part of China, of which I happen to be one of them. Though I'm not Cantonese, but I do celebrate the southern version of um, celebrating and eating mooncakes. Yep. Essentially, what it is, it's just a pastry. That is that is um, made up from flour and molasses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then in within that that uh, pastry is different kinds of fillings. You know, the the Cantonese version obviously will have lotus seeds, and it's it's um, it's pureed uh, lotus seeds. So therefore, it is really very smooth. Try visualizing that we are actually eating some kind of uh, halva. That's what I'm I'm looking. For. Halva, of course, the dish made from yes. sesame seed. Correct. Except halva is made from sesame seeds. Within the Chinese community, you know, instead of halva, they use lotus seeds. They use um, uh, azuki, seed, uh, azuki beans, which in Chinese is called red beans. Mm. And then encased, and, and, and encased in that um, filling, usually there would be... Um, egg yolks, salted duck egg yolks, though some obviously don't have them because it all depends on how much you can afford mm. and so on. And um, and what it, it does offer is it gives you that that sweet, salty flavor. Mm. Does, does that make sense now? The salty it sure does. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Va- a, a valid um, a taste profile. And uh, those who think that it's invalid say, do you like quince paste with your blue cheese? That's sweet Correct. and salty. Yeah, that kind of stuff, yes. Proceed, so Mr. Quite... Tan. <laughs> but, um, but then there are, more, there are more different kinds of fillings. I mean, there are other different kinds of fillings as well within the, the sweet repertoire. And then one of them is a very famous one, which is called Hang Yan in, in Cantonese, which is just nothing but different kinds of nuts and seeds that are in encased in that filling or Yum. encased in that pastry. Yes. And you, you get things like walnuts, you get things like uh, almonds, you get things like um, um, candied melon, you get sesame seeds, uh, and one more that, oh, sometimes uh, um, pine nuts as well. Mm. So it, it's actually quite delicious eating. Though, however, because a lot of the mooncakes that we uh, have over here are imported from overseas, we don't have an we don't have a, a special variety, and that is actually made with uh, preserved meat in there. 
and and that in itself is quite something else. It's so try visualizing that once upon a time during the um, before Christmas pudding as we know of it now, you know, compared to what it was say two hundred years ago where they, they used to put meat into it, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's very very similar to the kind of um, feeling that we get have in that special variety of mooncake with uh, meat as well as nuts in it. And, uh, you know, I, and and because I was speaking to my family in Malaysia, and they said, well, why can't you get, you know, the ones with um, um, Yunnan ham in it, you know, or ham in it. Yeah, so, yes. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, we just don't have that. They said, well, why doesn't somebody do it over here, you know? <laughs> so uh, that Endlessly pragmatic. Yes, yes. But it's fascinating. And then, of course, there are mooncakes from other parts of China as well, particularly mm. the Suzhou variety, as well as the Chuchao variety. And these are actually not made with the kind of pastry that I mentioned, but oh. they are actually made with some kind of um, puff pastry, Chinese style. So visualize, you know, when we are talking about puff pastry, puff pastry, which, which is sort of rises vertically, yes. where the Chinese version of puff pastry rises horizontally. Right. Yeah, yeah, Does yeah. So think, think yeah. Uh, palmier, uh, a palmier. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind, that, that, that's sort of that way. But it's actually made with lard once mm. upon a time. You yeah, know, but not? nowadays, yes, but then nowadays, oh. you know, for health reasons, it's made with um, vegetable fats and so on. Oh, my and God. And you... those, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, look, this isn't everyday food, so... It... It's no, probably no, okay, isn't it? Not. Yeah, anyway, so yes, go, yes, go ahead, but, please, Tony. So, you know, those from, let's say, from Sucho, for instance, you know, they, they actually put in savory fillings rather than than sweet fillings in there. So it's so you get anything from seaweed to vegetables to, um, yeah, seaweed and vegetables in those, those fillings. And then they also put in different things like candied melon with salted vegetables or, or a whole spectrum of, oh, and also mung beans in there, you know. Hmm. So it's fascinating. And I, you know, I have to say that every time when I go back to Asia, you know, particularly, of course, to Malaysia as well as to Hong Kong, hmm. you know, I, I'm staggered by the different kinds of traditional fillings that you find in mooncakes. And so it, it really comes down to regional differences. Yeah. So, you know, and it's it's fascinating. The, then, uh, sorry. I was just I was just going to say, look, uh, we've uh, just to let you know, Tony, we've probably got a couple of minutes left, um, but one of the things that um, fascinates me um, is the elaborate presentations that uh, that we get our mooncakes in in the Ch- uh, Asian food stores that we see, and you know they're um, significant cost, but uh, just so beautiful, my God! Yes, it is really, really beautiful, and I think it's a lot to do with that. You know, let's say you know I haven't seen you for some time, and it's mm. during the mooncake festival. I would splurge and buy something special for you because mm-hmm. it is it is a sign of respect. Mm. It is a sign of togetherness. Yes. It is a sign of you know family reunion. Yeah. So therefore, I would you know it, it's something that I really want to sort of give it to you because I haven't seen you for a long time, and it is all about you know uh, 
giving you something special because yeah, it only and, happens once a year. And harmony too, and harmony Correct. too. Correct. Um, yes. Tony, um, thank you so much for having a chat with us. We're going to have to race on because uh, we're off to do a bit of sake drinking yes. uh, after we have a oh, little bit of music. You? Yeah. Which is great. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my buddy, uh, you probably know Lee, Lee Hudson from Chef's Armoury is going to be coming on very, very shortly. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, say hi to Lee for me. Will do. Hey, miss you, Tony, and uh, uh, keep that garden growing and uh, those little chickens under control. I definitely will, but I just want to say very quickly, you should actually try um, custard mooncakes and chocolate mooncakes. Okay. I love it when you give us homework and it's delicious. So uh, just for the listeners, custard tarts? Mooncakes. Oh, custard mooncakes and chocolate mooncakes. Okay. Oh, look, I might have a chat to my people at uh, uh, my local Asian grocer, which is a a real beauty. Tony, big hug from uh, from Melbourne. Miss you. Look forward to seeing you soon. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much and miss you guys too. Yeah. Take care. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hey, Sarah, Jimmy. What sort of drink you want? What sort of drink you want? Make it a double Yeah. Let's drink. Cheers. I've never heard a driving 4x4 beat with that. Oh, really? I was just tapping the... Boom, boom, boom. Getting excited for for what's about to fill our glass. For what we're about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Yeah, well, look, I thought this is a a good day to Mm. demystify a couple of things. One is, you know, mooncakes for a lot of us. We've seen them around in their rather beautiful, ornate boxes yes. and sometimes showing eh, like that. And also um, a drink, a drink that is, uh, that is brewed, that is made from rice, which, uh, which a lot of us, let's face it, haven't really imbibed in enough. Grappled with, no. Yeah, grappled mm. with. Um, and the, the wonderful thing is, is uh, just like grains of sand on a beach, the, uh, the types of... Uh, of sake that you can get. It just uh, there are so many, and who better? Who better? He asked rhetorically twice <laughs> uh, to have a chat and demystify this marvelous drink from the east, from Japan. Is Lee Hudson in his office in Sydney? Hello. Hey guys, how are you? Oh, really good. Bit of a hearing yeah, your great. your voice. Um, how's uh, how's the beautiful steak and kidney today? It is a beautiful day, 23 degrees, sunny, um, and probably just about to have a barbecue this afternoon. Yeah, okay, that's enough of them. Okay. Uh, right, well, it's, it's been, I would just say that because Melbournians, we've been enduring uh, really full-on winds. My God, it's been super windy oh, up really? here. And we got a little uh, brief sort of look at some warm weather, and then these cold fronts moved in through Bass Strait and... Uh, We've got the jumpers back on, so uh, that's good. But that gives us the thing, the terrible dilemma of saying to ourselves, my God, do we drink sake hot or do we drink cold? But we'll get to that. Your mastermind subject today, because you are the mastermind, is this great drink called sake. 
sake is uh, is probably something we the majority of us misunderstand in Australia. Um, we think about having sake with Japanese food, and I think that it probably suits a whole lot of cuisines that aren't Japanese. Uh, Italian food, Spanish, um, good Aussie barbecue. I mean, I'll be drinking a bottle of sake this afternoon with our barbecue. Yeah, we, even sometimes Italian pasta, as you once uh, floored me with the other day when we've spoken yeah. about this before. Yeah, we, we, we had uh, pasta last night, and guess what? Bottle of sake. Boom. And so um, sake is... Is it only the Japanese who make sake? There's actually... Uh, there's traditionally, a... sorry, within the area over the history, probably that's the best thing to okay. start that off. Modifier. Sorry, I need to modify that. Traditionally, yes. Um, there are other types of beverages made from rice in other parts of the world, Korea, uh, China. Mm. But in terms of sake, the way that it's made, traditionally, it's just Japan. It's um, just the Japanese. And other places. Yeah, it's just the Japanese. I wonder why. Is there, is there any reason why they sort of went in that way and that no others imitated them in that respect? I think it's because they're very clever. Well, yeah, and, and also they're... Well, we could say the Chinese are in it for, the, for a long run, but it's that the, the, one of the ethos is, and one of the things I most admire about the Japanese is the relentless pursuit of perfection. Mm, absolutely. There's, there's an interesting thing. I mean, there's a thing in Japan called koji, uh, and koji is, uh, is a type of mould, mm. and this is, is pivotal to sake. So because when you brew with sake, there's no sugar in it, there's starch, so they inoculate some of the rice with koji, mm. and the enzymes from the koji convert the starch into simple sugars so that we can have fermentation. Hooray for koji. And is that the same um, – koji is the same thing that's responsible for miso? Yeah, miso, mm. soy sauce, although there are different varieties of koji. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's used time and time again through Japanese food and, and through, through history. Speaking of history, how long has sake been around for historically? I think they're making very crude styles of sake, you know, a thousand years ago. Mm. Um, but it really came into being probably as, as a big thing, um, yeah. maybe three, four, five hundred years. Gotcha. And yeah. I'm going to make do a generalisation. Some of the best sakes are made in low temperature areas. Would that be a, a fair assumption? Yeah, generally, traditionally, they make sake in winter mm. um, because they need to control the temperature of the fermentation. Um, and, so it's, and, basically it's a winter, winter sport, summer sports growing rice. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing, making beer in you know, a lot of places, homebrew. If you, uh, winter is the best time to do your beers because if you mm. do them in the summertime, you get all these really off-tainty sort of fusel alcohols produced. Yeah, not, not delicious at all. Nasty, nasty stuff. Um, all right, well, uh, take it away. Where would you like to uh, to go with this this chat? Do you want should we talk about uh, classifications? Because uh, as again, you know, we know about the difference between Shiraz and a Merlot. Um, how do we how do we classify sake? I think it's, it's interesting. We we do know all about you know if we want a Shiraz. It says Shiraz on the label. We know what it's going to taste like. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a classification system for premium sake in Japan. Um, and it starts with Junmai and Honjozo down the bottom. Yes. Uh, and they tend to be more sort of, more your sort of rich styles, earthy styles, uh, rice-driven styles, for want of a better word. Mm. And then we have the four Ginjos at the top of the grades. Um, Ginjo, Junmai Ginjo, 
the Junmai means that there's no added alcohol. How do you, um, how do you spell gin, Ginjo, just to give people, the, for, the, for the visual people out there, uh, uh, a bit of a hand? Ginjo is G-I-N-J-O. Sure, Ginjo. Um, and yeah. we, we're really tempted to pronounce that Ginjo. <laughs> yes. But it's Ginjo. Ginjo, yeah. Yep. Ginjo. See, Ginjo grades tend to be more fruit-driven. Um, so you tend to get uh, sort of fruity or even floral characteristics. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I, 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 you handballed to me, and I, I didn't accept the pass properly. Um, so, uh, and about thirty-five um, percent of the uh, sake brewed in within Japan is regarded as a premium sake. We have sakes that um, have high strength alcohol added to them afterwards, uh, yeah. which uh, which we see, which will also probably give you. Uh, can give you a little bit of a bad hangover, I would imagine. If it's if it's a, a premium sake, not so much, um, no, because no, they're no, really no, no. only adding adding a tiny tiny amount of high strength alcohol. No. But certainly yeah. with your your supermarket or maybe your Seven Eleven varieties, mm. uh, Futsushu, um, some of them they're adding quite a bit of high strength alcohol too. Um, so they might not be as delicious yes. um, as as you'd expect from the premium sake. Yes. And yeah. and uh, one of the things that as uh, we here in Australia were um, we just it was sort of this expectation that if you uh, if you drank sake uh, you would have it from little porcelain um, uh, pouring jugs and it would be served hot. That changed too hot sometimes. <laughs> oh, way too hot. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Forty-five it's, degrees uh, is what you you told me at one stage. Was so don't go yeah, past I mean, that. I like I like sort of forty-five degrees. That's that's good if I'm having hot sake. Mm. Um, we, I think that if we if we go back sort of thirty forty years and we think about Japanese restaurants and those tiny little thimbles full of scorching hot sake that we had, <laughs> um, yes. I, I think there's been a several million tours to Japan since then, Hurrah. and the Australians are slowly slowly discovering that, that some. Some say the premium styles of sake, ginjo styles of sake, are great to serve chilled mm. and enjoy it in a wine glass so you can capture some aromas. Um, and I think we've moved on a lot. Hot sake is still great sake. Um, you know, you get a really beautiful earthy junmai mm. uh, in the middle of winter, freezing cold day. There's nothing better than having a nice warm glass of sake. Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, so, it, luckily enough, you uh, happened to have uh, sent down a bottle of sake uh, from the sake shop uh, where you were uh, the patron, and uh, I thought maybe we might uh, open it up and uh, have a look at it. Sure. So this is this sake is from a, a brewer called um, Kazunomori, or Yucho Shizo is the, is the brewer's name, but Kazunomori is the brand they produce. Mm. And these guys are famous for making namazake, which is unpasteurized. Oh. Now, when we make wine, we put sulfur dioxide in it to preserve it, but with sake, what they do is they pasteurize it, sometimes twice. Um, so unpasteurized sake is something that you would need to keep in the fridge to keep it in good condition. Um, you know, a few days out of the fridge, posting it out or whatever, is no drama, but long-term storage is in the fridge there. Um, so I, I think we should get into this sake. You've got a glass there? I do. I've got the uh, the bottle, which I'm just opening up like an interesting way that it opens up, actually. There we go. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, we... 
Aha. Oh, there's a little bit of effervescence there. That's why it had that yes. closure on there. Yes. So the very interesting thing about this brewer is he does capture a little bit of CO2, uh, natural CO2 from the fermentation. It's not like sparkling or anything, but there's the tiniest, tiniest little bubbles in there, um, which I think keeps it, it quite lively. Uh, quite a quite an interesting fucking. It's uh, it's a very light in colour. It's almost uh, it's clear with maybe just a touch, just a faintest touch of yellow in it. Mm. And and you can actually see the tiny little bubbles if you look closely enough. I can see them. Yeah, they're very 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 mm. small. It looks um, like um, it looks like a glass of prosecco. It doesn't smell like glass. Yeah, of no. It, it does. It does sort of have that that weight to it as well. Um, mm-hmm. Quite an interesting drink. Now this, Yuchishu uh, though, they uh, an amazing brewer. Um, Yamato-san, who's the the proprietor there, he makes amazing sake. And this sake can only be made at their brewery uh, because of the really? type of water they have uh, from the well. Yes. So he brews at really stupidly low temperatures at about six degrees. What, what sort of water are we talking about, dear Lee? So it's it's a it's a hard water, but most water in Japan is soft. Um, mm. But because it's hard, it has a lot of nutrients in it, which will feed the yeast. So Gosh. the yeast can survive at super low temperatures, and it's a really long fermentation, thirty days or thirty days plus. Thirty days? Uh, that's, yeah, that's crazy long. It's 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 insane. Um, yeah. Most most brewers who are making sake will shorten that to sort of twenty twenty five. But because of that long, slow fermentation mm. period, then we get sake that tastes and smells like this. So let's let's have a little little go at this one. All right. So again, first thing we see is it's got bubbles. First thing when we smell, oh, there's some interesting things going on there. Can you um, can yeah. you guide us through this, please, Lee? To me, this is very pineapple and mushy pan on the nose. There you go. Um, it's, it's a little restrained. Matt, um, Matt's nodding his head but, too. Pineapple, yeah, it, it, thank you, because it's one of those things, you know, when you're sort of getting something, I'm not quite sure what that is, but as soon as you said it, it is pineapple with a little bit of mushy pear. Mm, absolutely incredible. And on, on the palate, you'll find that a lot of that carries through. So let's take a little sip together. Mm-hmm. Mm. For those wow. that are, are, are listening, I'm sorry we can't be sharing this all with you, but we'll give you an idea. And if you really want to, you could probably um, jump online and order this from Lee's shop. Actually, you got a lot of this to sell. Sorry, you got enough of this to sell. Some yeah, we've got plenty of it. Yeah, we'll look after you. We'll look after you. Yeah, you. Yeah, you certainly get that uh, little bit of spritzig, using a European term, uh, hmm. in the mouth. Um, I can certainly taste that pineapple. Maybe not so much yeah. the pear. What, what, what are you getting there, Lee? And I want to hear from like, you too, Matt. For me, for me, it's a little bit of bit of kiwi fruit. Mm-hmm. So kiwi fruit, pineapple. Um, there's a touch of aniseed there. It's a little. It has like a minerality aniseed. to it as well. Yeah, and minerality too. Yes. Yeah. So I think it, this is a really interesting style of sake. It's quite intense on the palate. Like you pop it in the mouth there, and it, it just covers the entire palate, which I, I think is which. Is amazing and persistent um, too. It, it's very long flavour. Matt's nodding yeah. his head there. Yeah, um, and the interesting thing is that the tiny little bubbles that just touch your tongue. Mm. So it's such a, a really interesting style of sake. Now this is um, we say it's Morocco Namagenchu. So those three words are quite interesting. Morocco means that there's no charcoal filtration. 
because right. uh, a lot of sake is filtered with charcoal. Uh, Nama means unpasteurized. And Genshu means that it's full strength. So basically, Genshu. a lot of sake is watered down after fermentation. Mm. Um, but this is, a, this is one that is just served to you exactly how it came out of the tank. I can certainly remember seeing Genshu on uh, bottles of sake. Mm. It, it's, it's quite a thing because what it means is that you get a sake that has um, more body to it, has more flavour to it, um, has a little bit more texture to it as well. Uh, and this is uh, sitting at a very comfortable 17% alcohol. Okay. Um, food. Uh, oh, is there anything else you want to talk about the um, how it looks and tastes and all that sort of stuff before we go on to a food match? Yeah, I think I think this is a for me. It's it's a very unique brewer. Um, this style of sake we don't see at other breweries. Mm. Uh, he is very good at brewing namazake, unpasteurized sake. Um, and you've met him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been to the brewery uh, several times. Yeah. So it's such an amazing place. Sorry, in, in did you Yara, hear that in my voice? <laughs> that just looked at me. Go, jealousy's a curse, Cam. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so you've met him. You've eaten yakitori with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've done all, all of that, which is which is good fun. Yeah. Um, amazing brewery. If I mean, most sake breweries are very, very clean. This place is so clean, you'd be happy to have surgery there. Mm. You know, it's, it's um, and that's important when you're making unpasteurized sake. Oh yeah, I guess it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, very, very, very stunning place. Um, um, I hate to ask, um, yep. uh, quanto? How much? <laughs> how much is this bottle? Uh, yeah, forty-five ninety-five. Okay, and that's uh, yeah. seven hundred. Seven hundred mil. Seven hundred and twenty mil. Seven twenty. Strange. Seven twenty. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a good size, and that, that seven twenty, that size yes. is a it's a multiplication of a traditional measurement in Japan. Of course, it is of one hundred and eighty mils. Um, one hundred and eighty mils is one go or go, yeah. and this is yon go four go, which is seven hundred and twenty mils. How, how long does sake last in the bottle once you've opened it? Do you need to... Uh, can you come back to it, or should it be consumed? We say that most sake, if we drew a line in the sand, we say about a week. Um, oh, that's right. Sake like this is interesting because on the first day that you have it, it'll be like we have it now. Mm. But I tend to find that the flavour expands and becomes richer over that week because the CO2 disappears... Uh, maybe a little bit more sweetness will come out. So it's quite an interesting sake because it will change in the bottle. So today it'll be different to tomorrow. Yeah, right. It's actually, there mm. it is on the back of this uh, bottle. It says, drink in one week of opening. Mm. And it warns you about the light spritz. The top will pop on opening. Yep. That's good. Yep. Yes. Food. Please watch your eyes. What are we going to have? Watch your eyes. Um, I think I mentioned having a barbecue earlier. This is yeah. going to accompany me outside for the barbecue later today. Uh, so basically, a uh, little bit of wagyu, a little bit of yakitori, a little bit of seafood. I think it'll work across all of those things. I don't know why, but I'm thinking octopus for this. Yeah, grilled octopus, Greek style octopus. Yeah, yeah, Greek style octopus with the with the lemon and the oil. Like, to, yeah. to, it'll cut through the um, the unctuousness of that. What do you reckon, Matt? Yeah, Wouldn't yeah. you like a bit of... I, th- I think grilled anything with this would just work. And I'm just, just screaming for some for chicken yakitori or something like that. Unagi. Yeah. Perfect match. Unagi. Pretty obvious yeah. match, but but no 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 words for being obvious. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But uh, I think it's, I think it's going to work across all of that. Mm. Um, or a kebab. Or a kebab. See, and, yeah. and, or a kebab. And, and, and that's the thing where... 
And and maybe we might sort of uh, put our minds across this as the fact that you don't have to be uh, eating, I don't know, yakitori or wagyu beef or specifically um, Japanese things to enjoy sake because, let's face it, we're the mongrel nation here, Australia, and we take in a lot of elements and we think about them. And I'm wondering yeah. if uh, maybe you might just... Uh, um, just put your head to the just to tell us a little bit about some of the these different flavors from around the world, which will work well with this this brewed drink from Japan. Well, back back in the day when restaurants were allowed to open, I remember those. Um, many many years ago. Many uh, we have we would go to BYO restaurants and we'd take a bottle of sake. Um, there's yeah. Victoria Street down in Melbourne, mm. which has both Chinese and Vietnamese restaurants, fantastic with all of those cuisines. Mm. Um, Greek food, we have a, a great Greek uh, BYO around the corner from us. Yeah. Um, we take sake because it's, it's, it's amazing with Greek food. Um, Spanish food, charcuterie, cheese. Uh, sake has a very, very broad appeal for food. And I think that that's... That's a very important thing to know. Because um, a lot of people try and pigeonhole it with Japanese, which, which isn't necessarily the only thing you can have it with. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, Vietnamese style. One of my favorite things in, uh, uh, in Vietnamese cooking is bolalop, uh, which mm. is uh, mincemeat. Uh, rolled up in beetle leaves, uh, grilled over charcoal, and then dipped in nook chum, uh, and mm. oh, this would be so good with that, I reckon. Yeah, totally. There's, uh, there's, so, many, there's so many different styles of food that'll work well with sake. Um, I, I think it's a shame not to try it with something. Um, uh, for, the, for those who are listening at home, what I could recommend is, is next time that you have an idea that you can have a bottle of wine when mm. you're cooking at home, yes. maybe try a bottle of sake instead. Yeah, uh, and you'll be surprised that it'll, it'll work very well with whatever you're cooking. Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll do you the favour of giving you a shameless plug for the business. Um, Chef's Armoury, um, the sake shop there has really, really uh, great notes on buying sake. Uh, the tastes that are in there a great sliding scale. Oh, What's all your, the criteria that you judge your sake on? So on our website, we're as well as having tasting notes uh, and a lot of other information. We have a, a sweetness scale, dry to sweet. We have dry how much sweet. aroma, yes. uh, how much the flavour intensity, the complexity of the sake, the acidity, and the umami characteristic, mm. how strong that is in the sake, which is an interesting thing in itself. If we think about um, other beverages, if we think about wine, we don't necessarily have umami in there no. because it doesn't have the amino acids that, are responsible for that umami character. Yes. Yeah. Whereas sake, you will have varying degrees of umami, which is like a savouriness. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why it works so well with mm. food as well. Well, I guess if we if we look back on and think about miso, I mean, miso is like glutamate city and uh, umami city. So it's sort of mm. easy to extrapolate that, isn't it, when, when we're armed with that? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's something that... For me, or, or mummy, we, every cuisine has some umami-rich food. And mm. we think about Australia, and we have that famous little jar of Vegemite. We do. Uh, umami mm. in, a, in, a, in a jar with a yellow top. Yep. And it's something we're brought up on. You know, it's like we're 
put on toast as, as, a, as a kid, and it's something that we identify with. And what we identify with is that umami character. It is. Well, this has been a great bottle in front of us today. Uh, folks, sake is not just for Japanese food. Uh, it is worth exploring because there are just so... Well, there's so much to, uh, to find out, enjoy, and, um, and just embark upon. So, Lee... It's always good to, to chat with you up there in Sydney. Enjoy that beautiful day. Enjoy your barbecue, although we're a little yeah, bit jealous. Wait. And uh, <laughs> look forward to chatting with you again soon. All good. Thanks, Cam. Oh, and thanks uh, for the bottle, too. Yeah, we should also <laughs> yeah, say, no, hey, no, thanks no. for the sake. Uh, it's, it was delicious. See you, mate. Yeah, amazing stuff. All good. Thank you. Bye-bye. There he is. Hey, we just got a couple of subscribers come in this hour. Oh, we'll just highlight. Yes, uh, Zarin Dalel from Brunswick East, Aaron Gelbert from Fentry Gully, Richard Mulcair from Ocean Grove, Tim Forrester from Armstrong Creek, Abby Brogdon from St Kilda, Raphael Heal from St Andrews Beach, Jess McKenzie from Yarraville, and Burke and Wilbur McKenzie from Yarraville and their messages. Bork, bork. <laughs> Fair enough. Keep them wow, so many. Um, <clears throat> that's great. The great news is that you are super, uh, supporting... A valuable community resource, <laughs> um, a, a valuable community institution, actually, I'd go so far as saying yeah. you're part of a great family and, as Matt said so beautifully a while ago, 3 triple R, <laughs> a great dickhead filter. You said that, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, you said that. Yeah. Uh, um, well, we're going to have uh, Kent Goldsworthy. He's going to come and join us. Matt, thanks for being part of it. Thank Glad you, you Cameron. Glad you could have the sake. Yes. Still here is on... And we're going to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 